0: 2007 Engineering student Ben Bruff has devised and assembled a magnetronic electric motor unlike any of the time from scratch
1: <laughs> Okay, so this is the motor that we developed, and I'm just about to turn it on here.
0: The industry-altering technology would remain in his garage to this day. So they've crammed this thing into a what kind of car was it again? Mitsubishi Galant. Mitsubishi Galant, and uh, wheels are spinning. Full speed ahead. It looks like something that belongs under the hood of Doc Brown's DeLorean, and it actually works. How efficient did you say it is?
1: So we had it tested up at the university, it came back at um, over 90% efficient, which uh, we were quite surprised at because this was handmade completely in our garage. In your garage, in the suburbs? Yes. What's the next step? Ultimately, the the next phase would be to market the motor and try to find a, kind of a, a, a suitable application for it.
0: And that proved to be more difficult than it seemed, didn't it? Yes. Which begs the question: Why? see each other. It's like you are cousin
1: it <laughs> well, and yeah. I'm cousin it. What yeah you have to do is uh, have like a face right underneath the wig so it looks like a person yes. that you're talking that's audi- to. That's the Yeah, that's the audience.
0: <laughs> it is a a face that represents all. Yes. So welcome back to the show. This is the show that explores the extraordinary details in the quote-unquote ordinary lives around us. It's November now. We're approaching the holidays and as such I decided I've I'd make the month kind of a family affair. We had my mom, Jody McGregor. So now we got Benjamin Curtis Bruff, my brother, live from Bruff Studios. We are indeed looking at a wig that's covering the microphone because it was the most ideal filter. It's catching all the sonic waves and the food particles into the fibers. It's a brown wig. Yes. How's it going,
1: Ben? Uh good, good. I'm glad uh to be here to help out and uh I'm not it's just guess, get,
0: uh, just get your chair like so that it's about where that yeah there you go go. so we're going to talk about i mean ben is pretty central to the theme of the show Uh, i always picture those conversations you have with people on an airplane fate put you together and you get talking and you realize the guy next to you or gal next to you has some pretty incredible experiences talents lifestyle job maybe so that's kind of what we delve into here you're kind of right on par with the experience you had in, what was it, 10 years
1: ago? Yeah, 10 years ago now, uh, 11 years ago, 2007, I think we figured, was uh, the time frame we are going to be talking about. I was uh, going to college Uh uh, as an engineering student, just getting ready to graduate uh, in mechanical engineering, working as a used car salesman, of all things.
0: With Curtis. Curtis Brough Auto Sales. That place always had a knack for attracting the most unique individuals I think I've ever heard of. Like the time the guy came in and put on his application, his employment was a sperm donor on the loan application, a sperm donor.
1: What are uh, yeah, needless to say we we didn't shake his hand. Yeah, so okay. I we closed the deal. Was, uh...
0: <laughs> so what was the what are some other people that came in? Some other stories, just briefly. I want to take a little tangent there. So
1: so there was the guy that we spent several hours with uh, you know, trying to get him set up with the right car. He was looking for a higher end car. Um, you know, he drove several. He finally picked out one that he that he liked. I can't remember what it was, but it was a lot of money. And uh we went to close the deal and, and uh Asked him if he needed uh, help with the loan application or anything. He says, "No, I'm gonna I'm gonna pay cash for this," and we're like, "Okay, you know, great." Let's get but he says, "I won't have the money till till after Saturday," and we're like, "Well, okay, you got some money coming in or something." He's like, "Yeah, well, I, I've got this uh, lottery ticket, and uh, you know, it's it's gonna win this weekend. So once I get that, I just want to make sure I'm prepared and can come in and, and buy a vehicle." So that was. Uh, <laughs> Frustrating waste of was a certain. few hours. He yeah. was certain he was going to win the lottery. He was, so he was just rolling the dice. He was that positive that, that it was his turn to, to, to win the lottery. That he wanted to have his car already picked out. Big and, fan. I and I don't know if you want to go into the off, off-site sales. Which often happens yeah, to be
0: So that every once in a while they would have off-site sales. A bunch of different car dealers in the area would get in a, a parking lot somewhere. And uh, you'd usually have an RV parked there. So you'd have some place for people to sit down and sign paperwork,
1: whatever. So we'd go to these offsite sales. And usually the RV was one that a new RV dealership would loan to us just to use as offices. Really not even as bathrooms because nothing was set up or hooked up or anything in this. And so this one time, uh, you know, we're out on the lot helping customers. And the guy decides he needs to use the facilities. And so uh, he goes in uh, to the trailer without anybody really seeing him and goes in and uh has to has to do his business he's gotta go number two he's got to do a number two in the in the <laughs> in the tray this camping trailer there well nothing's hooked up it's kind of a cold day and uh and, and so he flushes it and it just shoots the thing out <laughs> to the side of the trailer out onto the parking lot and it's steaming. it's out there steaming and all of a sudden, there's just little girls screaming oh and people God. running, and we, you know, he comes walking out like like no big deal, just kind of. Anyway, uh, you got any O sevens? <laughs> he glances glances over, sees it laying there. I think it startled him a little bit. Whoa! <laughs> and so he uh, quickly scurried out the other way. Oh gosh, that's so, good. Yeah, we had to have the guys with the hazmat suits come in and sheer pandemonium. Yes. <laughs>
0: what's what's the big deal? It's just a candy bar. What is that? It's just a baby root. Baby root. <laughs> so yeah, Curtis Bruff Auto Sales was an interesting place. Oh, Grandpa would go in there all the time and fall asleep in a plastic folding chair in the corner. And uh, one time he fell asleep in front of a radiant heater that was on the wall, and it melted his polyester jacket to his back. Basically, it looked like one of those face grabbers on Alien was. And, and it's all tight in the front. So he wakes up and it's, what's going on here? And it's all wadded up and melted in the back. Uh, good times. Anyway, Curtis Bravado sales. We were going to have dad on the show, uh, but he couldn't make it. I wanted to do the ride along concept and we tried it a couple months ago. And the microphone that I had, it was not ideal at all. And all, it was like, all you could hear was road noise and with a lav mic, about an inch below his mouth, was eating and drinking a soda with a bunch of ice in it. It sounded like we had Dom DeLuise and Orson Welles in the car with us fighting over a picnic basket. It was terrible sound quality. Because he was was also kind of involved in that. You were working for him at the time. Yes. Rural northern Utah. Yes. So right now, we're going to let you tell the story of the magnetronic motor.
1: All right. Everybody thinks that electric motors are what is out there on the shelves today. I mean, in demand? Well, they've, they've been around for 100 years and it's been virtually the same design for 100 years. This is a completely new design um, and has you know several features and benefits that w- would uh, be advantageous in certain applications. The trick is just finding the right application. And uh, the right group of people who are willing to uh, test it out.
0: Tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself briefly. What got you into this? What gave you the idea for this and qualified you for this? Uh, You're an engineer.
1: Right. You know, going to college, I was fascinated with the uh, electromechanical classes. Um, I'm not really electrically inclined as so much as I am mechanically inclined. But I like the concept of, uh, you know, alternative energy stuff like that um electric motors so while i was going to college about a year before i was going to graduate uh i was selling used cars for dad like we talked yeah and um a guy came in wanted to buy a older vehicle preferably one that didn't have a motor in it and uh, it's kind of an odd request you know for someone who's selling cars And so we got talking, and uh, this guy was talking about a motor, an electric motor that he was working on developing, and he had had some ideas on it uh, for several years. I was uh, becoming a mechanical engineer. He was an electrical engineer, and uh, he needed somebody to help him with solid modeling of his motor, and that's something that I had done in in college at that point. this is interesting. I'd like to help you out on it. Huh. So that's how it started, that so conversation. That, that conversation
0: is how it got started. So he had the idea. Did he know it was going to be, that it was going to involve magnets in this particular application?
1: Yeah, yeah. So it was it was similar to the design that it, that it is today, where he had it. But uh, he had not uh, been able to put together a working prototype yet. It was all on his
0: mind. What happened after that conversation with the gentleman... Do you remember his name or did he Dennis.
1: have a... Oh, Dennis Dennis was his name. Did he mention who he represented or... No, they, well, he had started a small company and he had a couple of his buddies uh, that were kind of helping him out. They called it uh, Millennial Technologies. It was the name of their, their business. And so I, I started, uh, you know, I was still working in the dealership, but started helping him out with, uh, especially with drawings and stuff like that. And uh, We started putting together some crude prototypes and I helped them with uh, testing But then it it got kind of interesting. So they have this breakthrough idea, and they've got some investors involved. They've been able to raise a a little bit of money. And what did they spend their money on? They spent it on... They spent $400,000 on a old uh, building that used to be a car dealership. It was actually a car dealership that dad had worked at. at. In the past. Yeah, in the
0: past, in his uh,
1: younger... So they spent $400,000 on that. They spent another... I don't know, 100000 to $150,000 fixing it up. So I kind of got brought into the story about the time that it was
0: reaching it, the, the climax of the, the events, and I remember walking into this place, and it
1: looked like, it looked like they were squatting there.
0: <laughs> yeah. So it's like...
1: But they had spent a lot of money, and they had put up some walls, a lot of walls, but... Uh, most of the walls weren't even
0: finished, yet. and they yeah, it was like plywood. It it was like a like when a French village gets all bombed out, and then they have to set up a some sort of yes. <laughs> army camp there. Yes. that's what it looked like. The guys were interesting; they had some interesting personalities. Yeah. So there
1: was uh, there was Dennis and Vern. Uh, Vern was the guy in charge of the the money, the guy that they had brought in. And interesting thing about Vern is, uh, you know, we go in and meet him for the first time. And he says, uh, yeah, let's, let's get a non-disclosure agreement. So they fumbled around, found one on the, on the table that they had been eating at. Had, I think it had some tuna on it or something. <laughs> so they brushed it off and had us uh, sign that. And He's licking his fingers as he hands it to you. <laughs> yeah. There you go. And uh, the, one of the comments he made to us that day is like, hey, you he kind of pulled us to the side. Hey, you guys know of anybody that has uh, about $20 billion? You know, let, let me know, because I, I, I think if we could get uh, get uh, that kind of money, I think I could uh, make enough right. on the interest to, to carry us quite a ways. <laughs> so, oh,
0: yeah, let me get on the horn. Yeah,
1: it's like, <laughs> well, no kidding. If you got that kind of money? What are we even doing here? Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> Middleman. Wow. Dennis and Vern. Vern. He was who Ernest was talking and referring to all those years. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did they have a prototype set up at this, when you walked in for the first time,
1: Not a full prototype. They had a kind of a couple partial things set up. Uh, They took us in. They kind of showed us what they had. You know, we looked at it. It was somewhat convincing.
0: Everything they had. Who did they get to do the the machine work on the? Because that's usually the most impressive part. Is if the machining is done correctly on on the housing of the thing. Right. And then you got all these round magnets. They're kind of uh, shaped like. A breath mint? Just yeah, a, just a
1: cylindrical, short
0: cylindrical magnet. And all these wires going everywhere, which is why it really does look yeah. like something out of a sci-fi movie or something like that. So they had something set up. Did it work? Did they explain the science behind it? Did they have a grasp?
1: They were, they were explaining it to us, uh, how it worked. I don't think they really had anything that worked, at least not very impressively, anyway yeah but it was uh, an impressive enough of a concept that uh, Dad and I, when we were in there talking to him, you know yeah, let's uh let's get involved with these guys and uh, see how far this goes. And
0: So the impressive part of your involvement is the ultimate fruition of the motor right itself, right I mean, we taking were... it from a concept and making the thing actually viable, working.
1: Right. It was it was the concept and the potential that we saw that got us involved initially. Yeah. So we started helping them out. Um, they had other investors as well. Like I said, they had put in a lot of money in the in the building, especially in the bathroom. For some reason, they were infatuated with the bathroom. This thing had like ten urinals. It was <laughs> state of the art. There was I think three guys actually working there, but uh, they had big plans of people coming through and. Drinking a lot of diet coke and using the facilities, I guess. But they uh, got their business model out of a Cracker Jack box. Yeah, so, I mean, so at this point, I mean, they're into it five, six hundred thousand dollars, but haven't really spent any of it on the actual product yet on the motor
0: development.
1: Yeah, and it's still just uh, Dennis's buddies. I think a lot of them were high school buddies. One of them was, was Maurice, who was actually living in the building that they bought.
0: But they all had their forte, they had their strengths
1: yeah. educated people well we
0: at least we're not experience. sure
1: where Maurice fit in he he did some uh you know kind of mechanicals putting stuff together. he spent a lot of t- in fact uh he spent a lot of time on the phone. they actually took away his cell phone at one point because he had racked up uh i think it was four five hundred dollars in one month talking to some gal in Russia that was uh uh, it's said, a little bit longer, honey. I'm gonna get that's, that's, you. I'm gonna get you over here. That said, she wanted to marry him. Exactly. We yeah. got some money coming in. We're gonna get you over here. <laughs> so he was actually living. That's and crazy. They had a pretty nice uh, gym set up in this building as well. They had uh, you know ellipticals and treadmills and stuff like that. And
0: this is still small town. That's uh, what's crazy about this. Yeah. You 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 pass this building and it's still like I was saying on the outside, you would think it was still deserted. You go on the inside and they're right. just. Kind of nerdy
1: looking guys, I would venture to say. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) In there just toying around with this thing. Being being an old dealership, it had a lot of big windows out in front, but they were worried about people seeing what they were doing, this top secret stuff, and so they they had pretty much just covered up all of the the windows.
0: Because you know all the suits. That's the the first place they go, is, is old remodeled... Car dealerships. Yes. Just in the off chance somebody's building some some, some cutting stuff. edge technology that could put big brother out of business. Yes. So let's get into how the motor actually worked after your involvement. So step one, when you guys got involved, dad, you know, he fronted them some money just to add to the pile, I guess, so yeah. they could add another urinal. Yeah. And did you reverse engineer the thing first as it was?
1: Uh, no, we, we followed Dennis's design uh, initially, and then the way we got more involved and actually came up with a, a working prototype was after several months of working with them and their main guy, who was Dennis, who had you know a lot of these ideas and stuff, he spent most of his days uh, doing the sheetrock and stuff like that. And so after several months of us being involved and helping out and putting in money, And realizing that hey, they're still a long way from even working on the motor,
0: and they didn't really even seem to care that much. No, outwardly. No, well,
1: they they had in their mind that this thing was going to take off. They were all going to be millionaires. So what's what's it to spend a couple hundred thousand dollars on having a nice uh, gold plated urinal?
0: Well, also they're sitting there waiting for somebody to walk in the door and say. I got a feeling Uh, (laughs) that you guys uh, need a breakthrough. (laughs) I'm your guy. Exactly. (laughs) Which is almost what happened with you guys. But anyway, they were not very proactive, it sounds like. No, no.
1: So what we did is we actually took it upon ourselves. We took uh, what we had learned. We changed the design a certain amount, actually filed for our own patent on it, mainly just so that we could have more control over how things were moving forward. And so based on that, we uh, went forward and and basically a little over a month, maybe two months, we had a a motor made, working. Wow. We were putting it in a car, you know, maybe another month later, it was in the car, hooked up to the transmission, running down the road.
0: You had the thing loaded into the... uh, Mitsubishi. The Mitsubishi, yeah. What a famous car. Did you take this to anybody else other than this? small party or did you stick to the nda that you signed and kept it all in-house
1: we uh, pretty much kept it in house. we formed our own company uh, magnetron motors which is
0: the coolest
1: <laughs> name <laughs> so, ever. It was, so we were now at this point separate from millennial technology you know we had a working prototype it was different enough of a design to differentiate us from what they were working on we took it up to Utah State. So you're hedging your bets a little bit. You're
0: seeing the behavior that's going on around you. Right. And you're, you're putting off that you're still involved with them and that there's some... There's some synergy. Yeah, some synergy there. But at the same time, you're like, hey, this is a good enough idea, and we think it could swing. So we're going to make sure that if we need to, we can be self-contained. Right.
1: Well, at this, at this point, we weren't working as much with them because we had kind of figured out that they weren't getting things done. Yeah. Huh. You know, we we talked to them once in a while and so, stuff, but for the most part we were doing it on our own. And instead of money spending money on, you know, a nice building or you know, fancy urinals or something, getting the was, job done. It was in my garage. Yeah. It was uh, uh, winding these coils by hand and uh, just getting it done. Wow! And uh, like I said, we took it up to Utah State, had to test it tested on the dynamometer to you know validate the the design. And that was a breakthrough when you got the thing done and you had spent hours winding these coils. How many copper coils did you wind? Uh, I don't know, probably. So the, the motor that we had tested only took about 36 of these coils, but in the process I probably wound over a hundred. Hmm. You know, Cause we uh, do a design, test it, and kind of optimize it a little bit and change things a little bit.
0: Yeah, so your improvements on this were pretty total. Did they have like heat sinks and all that stuff? Set up in their version of it. Did they go that far in thinking of every angle? No, they they didn't have. Uh... Let's. I guess what we should do is go into ha- what the thing actually looks like. I want you to describe to the
1: listeners what it looks like, size, weight. You know. Okay. So if if you picture an electric motor, every electric motor has a rotor and a stator. Rotor being the the part that spins, mm-hmm. and stator being the part that doesn't. You know, just hold still. Usually, on most electric motors, it's uh, the inner part. There's a coil on the inside of the motor, and it it spins as the electrical current switches uh, back and forth, and makes that coil on the inside spin, which spins the shaft. Uh-huh. This motor is uh, almost the opposite. Of the The coils are on the outside. It's still, the the inner part spins. You know, with the shaft, but the permanent magnets are on the inner part are on the rotor, and then the electromagnetic coils are on the outer part, the stator. So they don't they don't move. And they're each individual. So they're they're different modules. Motors that are out there today, if you have a one that has a coil go bad on it or something like that. You have to if it's a big one, you'll send it in, have it uh, torn apart, rebuilt, you know, put back together and send sent back to you. Uh, if it's a small motor, you just throw it away and buy a new one.
0: Like something you would find in a Prius,
1: or are you talking about a? Um... Well, maybe more industrial type. Oh, type, okay. Type motors, right. but this this motor, if a coil goes bad, you don't even have to shut the thing off. You can unplug it. it has a couple of wires that go to each coil. Unplug it, pull it out, slip a new one in, and it just it can stay running while you're switching out coils.
0: So that's competitive advantage number one. Yeah easy maintenance Uh,
1: also where it's it's, cheaper it's modular so that uh you know these coils imagine them being three inches by five inches Mm -hmm. roughly and so you can customize whatever size motor you need um, by how many coils you add to it and so you can add some to the circumference of the motor making it bigger round or you can add some to the Length of the motor, making it a, a longer motor, depending on what your size constraints are and stuff like that. Is there an
0: advantage to either one? More torque on the length versus
1: yeah, width. Yeah, I mean if you if you add some to the <laughs> circumference, it's going to make it you know larger in in diameter, which gives it some more inertia and probably more torque. But electric motors are pretty torquey anyway. But
0: aside from the modular design, the timing was a big deal, meaning sending. The right signal to the right magnets at the right time, in perfect rhythm, right. sort of like pistons in a regular yeah, like a, like a timing
1: yeah, belt.
0: So that was a big thing that that gave it the efficiency that it had. What other differences would you say made it better than, or at least equally uh, viable as some of the motors out there? Well, it, the it electric has a... vehicle application. It,
1: it has a PLC in it. In fact, uh, you can set it up so that each individual module has its own PLC, or you can set it up so that there's as little as three PLCs in there and then you daisy chain the coils off of that. What's a um, what's a PLC? A programmable logic control. Ah so like a little computer yes. Computer chip. Yes. In it. Um, so that you can you can plug it into your computer, program it to what you want it to do. And whether it's hold a certain speed or turn a certain number of rotations and then switch direction, or, Mm -hmm. you know, you can decide which direction you want it to spin. It'll spin either way. Um, You can program it so that it turns a certain number of rotations and then holds a specific position, like a servo motor. Mm -hmm. And then also, based on the, the design that we have, so most electric motors, if you mechanically spin it it will create it'll generate electricity yeah it'll become a generator mm-hmm. this one if you do that with it it actually puts out three phase power so you don't have to go through a power converter if you want to run a household appliance or something like that so even though even though it's it's run on dc if you spin it backwards it'll put out ac so 3 phase ac
0: the, so the the part where you, so I was actually there when you took it out in the car and drove it around, and that was pretty cool because you had it where you tested it and the wheels were spinning, mm-hmm. uh, which is what we just watched, but also you took it and actually cruised down the street for a minute in the thing and it didn't make a sound. That yeah. was what I think that was the first time I had ever even, there was somebody that owned a Prius that I knew. And uh, those were kind of new at yeah, that time. Yeah, this at was back when There
1: weren't very many of those yeah. around
0: yet. And, but other than that, this was the first time that I had seen an electric motor in a vehicle. And it was completely silent. And I just remember you guys getting the results back from when you tested the efficiency and everything. And it had
1: a better torque than some of the other motors out there, or something like that? Yeah, so uh, m- most of the uh, data that came back was better than we expected. You know, even the efficiency, it, Greater than ninety percent. Which there's motors out there. I mean, most motors now are greater than ninety percent. But for this one to come back at greater than ninety percent, being a rough handmade prototype, it's still a, a dinosaur really compared to what it could become yeah. as far as efficiencies and everything. Um, so the efficiency came back higher than we expected, um, just because you know we have a lot bigger air gap than uh, you know conventional mm-hmm. motor has or you know a mass-produced motor Uh has Um, which you know this one got to the point where it was being mass-produced and the optimized and streamlined a little bit would be a lot more efficient
0: yeah and so efficiency is important because it means you're you're using less battery and going farther with it than say some of the competitors that you have to stop and charge your battery more often yes and you used uh, just a car battery right
1: yeah. What, was it well, a couple had, of them? We had uh, six 12-volt six batteries.
0: And how long did they last? Did you ever do a test like that? You
1: know, we, we never did run it uh, all the way down to where it wasn't going anymore. And this wasn't a really big motor that we put in it. We, when we tested it up at Utah State, it tested it at about 30 horsepower, I believe. You know, it, it would move the car along pretty good we just drive it up and down the street, short distances, half a mile to a mile at a time.
0: How did you program it so that the brakes would work and everything and it knew when to stop and go and everything like that? What was the interface
1: like? So the, uh, we used a potentiometer, mm-hmm. um, which... Yeah,
0: which everybody knows what that is. <laughs>
1: which basically just uh, controls the, uh, the voltage that's going to the motor. It's, it's, a, it's a little dial that you turn. To, okay. to basically turn up the
0: juice. So imagine getting in a car and instead of pushing on the gas, you're basically just, you've got a little dial like on a washing <laughs> well, machine to, yeah. you know. So,
1: but, but this one we actually hooked up to the gas pedal. How? So we had a cable, well there was a cable that would go from the gas pedal to the old gasoline motor that was in it before. We just took that cable, hooked it to a potentiometer which was on a spring, so as we would push down the gas, we'd pull it one way. As we let off the gas, the spring would pull it back the other way.
0: Yeah, So, and the way those cables work in a gas pedal is you have some sort of sheathing, and then you have the actual cable inside of it that either goes forward or backward, and then... Like your
1: bicycle brake. Yes. We we hooked it up to the existing transmission that was in there. This was a front-wheel drive, which wasn't too bad. We had to custom make an adapter to mount it up to the transmission, but no no other work was done to the transmission to make it. The thing with electric motors, you actually don't need a transmission to, to make the car go because... Because
0: um, it's all in the uh, flux
1: capacitor or whatever <laughs> that thing was that you <laughs> Well, because electric motor will have a lot more torque at the lower RPM than a gas motor does. It was just easier for us to, to, to the transmission rather than try to retrofit the whole thing and take it out.
0: So you took a concept from an eccentric man Eccentric group of people. Yes. And made it into a working, functioning product with exceptional efficiency and potential for easier and cheaper maintenance and operation. And you did this all in your garage. Yes. So, what were the other guys doing at this point?
1: Dennis so, and, and Vern, so Vern were, and the boys. They were working on their own prototypes. When we got done, they actually purchased this vehicle from us. Okay. That's what I was gonna because ask. Had was, they
0: given you any earnest? Did they give you any money prior to this? Any type no, of no?
1: We had given them money. And we had put money into it.
0: Oh yeah, that's right. Okay,
1: so but uh, once we got this car done, they were obviously you know impressed with the design of the motor and that we were able to get it in there and up and running and everything. They had been trying to put one in a GMC Jimmy or something like I, that. Yeah, but, I remember uh, seeing that it thing. Would, it would barely barely turn the tires, but it, it, it on the ground. It was up on the jacks, but. Did uh, Vern get mad when he saw that yours was better? No, no, he storm didn't storm into the bathroom. But uh, but they they bought it from us and with no paperwork, no paperwork. Oh. There was no non compete. There was no NDA. There was no not even a receipt. Wow! They just uh, wrote us a check for for seventy grand for this old Mitsubishi gallant.
0: From Acme Bank
1: and Trust? <laughs> did the check go, you know, did it cash? They, they in this Clear pro, in this process, they had gathered more, you know, while we were working on the prototype, they were good at getting investors. They didn't have a working model yet, a working prototype. I guess
0: that's just proof of people having strengths and weaknesses because yeah. they had a lot of stuff not going for them.
1: But they, we figured they probably were able to get over a million dollars in invest investors investment money over a million dollars in investment money without without a working prototype you and but you
0: had the working prototype at this point they had come up with the over a million they bought the car from you bought okay the car. what was the next step in the plan did you guys ever have a powwow and
1: decide all right well i think their plan was to look at what we had done with the, with the motor and modify yeah. their design to, to match it what they ended up doing was pulling the motor out of the car and doing some destructive testing on it. Mm. So they pushed it to the max until it blew up. And I don't know what their results were from it or what they gained from it. But a few weeks later, we saw the car sitting on the side of the road with the, the motor out of it. And <laughs> they, had, they had said that they took the motor out and took it into their shop and just just tested it till it, till it blew up. And during that time, we were in the process of, you know, we built a couple other motors, you know, smaller, we built a small kind of bench model one that we could uh, do some more testing with and stuff like that.
0: Okay. Did they modify the business organization that they had set up to include a certain amount of ownership that would go to you and dad?
1: No. Initially, when we were putting money into it, we had come to an agreement on how much of the business we would own. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, is they were they were giving everybody portions of the business. Uh, Dennis was behind on his rent on his apartment, and so he gave his landlord 10% of the business. And, uh, you know, Vern, I think, gave his cousins and oh. brothers and sisters each 10%. And was, we don't, so when it was all said and done, I think they had given away 200%. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, that by the end, of, the company's worth 200% of yeah. zero. <laughs> and so, And so when they bought the car from us, the part of the agreement was is the, the money that that they gave us for the car was essentially a, a buyout where, you know, we were gonna then kinda split.
0: Okay. So oh, you, please. but you didn't sign anything. So you guys could have gone out and competed. Yeah. There was and still, tried still your, no
1: paperwork.
0: Yeah. Involved. You could try your hand at gaining investors and taking Which Which essentially
1: was, was the plan. It was, it was, here's, here's the motor and the car for the 70 grand and we'll uh, keep uh, working on our design of motors. You guys keep working on yours. We'll just keep it, keep it separate and see what yeah. happens. Ultimately, millennial technologies uh, no longer exists. They gave away all their money, and <laughs> the, the, well. The thing when they put down the four hundred thousand dollars on the building, the building was five hundred thousand dollars. They put down four hundred thousand dollars and were essentially rent to own take thing on the rest of it. Okay. They couldn't come up with the extra money. Boy. They ended up losing the the building back. Investors obviously dried over. I mean, with not a viable working prototype investment money stopped coming in and essentially they disbanded and that was it that was it wow
0: so and then on the other side of of things you and dad and uh the other curtis had a stimson yeah he had a molding he, he did injection molding you know fast pitch or i mean pitching machine balls and things like that yeah. And so he created a lot of the molding that would house the uh, modules, right? Yeah, and the coils, yeah. So yeah. he
1: would—he uh, was donating some stuff. We had Brad Gardner who was uh, donating. He, had, he owned a machine shop, and yeah. so he was donating. What was it made out of? Alloy? Some sort of? Aluminum. Aluminum. Most, mostly aluminum. Okay.
0: With all these people involved on your end, that's what I want to talk about next in conclusion is just the uphill battle of just taking it and getting it out there to consumers. and right. And just have a full functioning operation going. What was the biggest struggle in accomplishing that, that people don't tell you?
1: Um, getting the product to a point where you can get investors. You have to put a lot of money. So even though we had a working prototype and could show people what it is and what it did, it was still, it was still a long way from being uh, you know, fully designed and, and optimized. So we, it would have taken a lot more money put into it in order to get it to a point where it's really going to impress somebody as an investor. We, we had a few people look at it, you know, and people were interested. They could see the potential with it. But ultimately, people would say, you know what, when you get it to this point.
0: Oh, everybody had a certain point that was just out yeah. of reach.
1: That they get it to this point, give us a call.
0: Condition. We'll
1: evaluate it. So... But there's only one millennial out there. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, and for, I don't know how they did it, but they came up with a lot of investment money with, with that even. And I think <sighs> I think what it was, there was a, I think it was a couple investors, and I think they were, like I said, old high school buddies of, of Dennis's or something he like that. He just had a network. Yeah. He just, he just had ended had up having to know a few people that were very well off and could afford to invest some money to an old friend. Yeah. expecting much out of it.
0: That, I think, is one of the lessons in this whole story is the fact that I remember at the time looking at this thing and thinking, we're all going to be billionaires and this is amazing and everybody's going to want it. Uh, it's something that I had never seen before. I knew electric motors existed at that point in time, but it seemed like they were hard to maintain and right. um, it seemed like a certain time. Something they don't tell you out there as an inventor is how hard it is you know, to get it to the point where it can be taken to market.
1: Usually involves quite a bit of capital that's, that that's needed.
0: How many more things are out there like this that are in other people's garages that have had the same well, storyline? You,
1: you know, everybody out there has some, oh yeah, this is a great idea. Yes. Only I had
0: 10 grand to, yep. or a hundred grand. It happens all the time. Yep. And the ones we see, those are the ones that just, they made it through somehow. But yeah, there's uh, so many untold stories out there, which is why I think this is really cool to share your story with them. What advice would you give people that have something like this happen? Or is this a situation where no, ma- no amount of advice helps? It's just cross your fingers and hope that you know the right people.
1: The, the advice would be is if you have an idea that's uh, viable and you've, you've got the means to get it to a certain point, do what you can to get it to that point and focus the energy and the money and resources into the product and not necessarily on urinals. <laughs> yes, Buildings or that is
0: that's the most else. frustrating part of this whole thing to me is if these guys would have just been a little bit more uh, smart with their money and the way they spent it and not giving it out to uh, needy family members and stuff then this thing probably could have worked so don't be stupid just don't be stupid that's the exactly. advice essentially <laughs> on that Thanks for being on the show, Benjamin. Thank you. Uh, So uh, in conclusion, the motor right now is
1: where? Uh, It is with a group who is, uh, interestingly enough, they're looking at investing into it or maybe purchasing it outright and developing it from there. Yeah. Um, We have it with a, a friend who was involved a lot while we were putting this together and he's uh, got it with this, this group of investors, and they're evaluating it at the moment.
0: It could still have legs. I remember a couple years ago, you know, maybe five years ago or something, seeing it in your garage still. It's covered by a sheep yes. collecting dust, which is interesting. So yeah, uh, this episode will probably come out after Thanksgiving. So we hope everybody had a good Thanksgiving. Ben Brough, everybody. Inventor of the highly efficient, highly impressive motor with the coolest name, Magnetron. Incorporated. Is that what it was? Uh, yeah, magnetron. Magnetron Inc. Look for it in uh, in future publications of Fortune magazine and Wired magazine yes. and all the other ones. Popular Mechanics, etc., yes. etc. Et and uh, we'll we'll catch you next week. And keep listening to look.